Well, it's great to see this number out this evening. We appreciate your presence uh, so much and thankful that you have chosen to come here. We are uh, aware of the fact that there's many things that you could be doing, and I realize that uh, many of you have worked today and that uh, you're tired, but you chose to come to the house of God and to worship and to sing these songs and to study His Word for a while. And uh, if you're visiting, we want to welcome you back for the continuing services of this meeting and uh, the services of this congregation here on a regular basis. We appreciate your presence so much and we hope that you find yourself comfortable and that uh, you find hospitality here and we welcome you. This evening I want to uh, speak with you for a few minutes about something of extreme importance. You know, we go to a doctor and the older I get, sad to say I have to go more often, but you go to a doctor on a regular basis. And the reason you go, even when you're well, well my doctor wants me to come uh, every three to six months and see how much I weigh. <laughs> but, but I'm going all the time because I want to make sure that my body is healthy. Becca asked me over at her house this afternoon, she says, do you have any health issues going on? And, you know, the older you get, you, you, you're aware that there's health issues that go on in your life. And I told her not that I'm aware of. But, you know, the reason we go to a doctor is because we want to make sure that there are no health issues going on in our life that might creep up on us and destroy our body. Now, I want to tell you today, a lot of young people are faced with a teaching and a doctrine that is destroying their life because the teaching is this, is when you die, it's all over. When you die, that's the end of your life. Your body is placed in the ground and it, it's all over. You cease to exist. I know people, old and young alike, that live on a daily basis thinking those very things. So if I believe that and I think that, then I'm not going to be aware of anything but my body. And I live in a temporal state of mind and thinking that, well, my body is temporary. So therefore, if I'm living in a temporal state of mind, then I'm living for the present and I'm living for whatever I can get out of it today. Now, this evening, the subject that I have that I believe is of extreme importance are the four conditions of the spirit of man. Your body is important to you. It's the temple of the Holy Spirit, the Bible teaches us. But it's not the most important thing in your life. And it's not the most important thing that you possess. Jesus says, for what is a man profited if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Now you think about those words for a moment of, of the master. He's asking you, and me, what is the value of your soul? What would you give up? Would you, what would you give your soul for? I want to tell you, a lot of people will give their soul for a moment's pleasure. For just a moment. They'll give their soul for just a dollar. And their soul is so invaluable to them, so lacking in value to them because they don't realize the possession that they have that God has given them. So Jesus says, what if you gain the whole world? Do you think about the whole world? 
we look at land values around our part of the country, and if a person owned uh, s several acres of land in our part of the country, he's a, he's a pretty wealthy man in, in, in a lot of cases, depending on where he's at. But you think about, I was at, standing in the middle of Japan, in Tokyo, Japan, and they told me that this part of real estate that I was standing on sold by the square inch. By the square inch. What if I owned all of Tokyo? Jesus said, if I gained the whole world, if I gained the whole world and lost my own soul, there would be no profit whatsoever. You and I cannot live our life thinking only of our body and thinking only of this temporary state that we exist in. Everything that you have is going to be the possession of someone else in the near future. Our life is short and it's but for a moment. James puts it this way, for what is a man's life but it is a vapor that appeareth for time and then vanisheth away. I like to tell folks, my mother passed away two years ago when she was about 85 years old before her mind got so bad, she made the statement to me that I have remembered and I will probably take it with me until my mind gets bad. But she said, I woke up one day and I was this old. And all of us can relate to that. Her life is temporary. And it passes by in just a moment. But one thing that does not disappear is the fact that our soul was made eternal. So the fact that our soul is eternal, this subject becomes extremely important to us. Genesis 2 and 7 says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. When man became a living soul, he became eternal. And I believe that's one of the attributes that makes us different. That is the attribute that makes us different from all of the beasts of the field. You realize that you and I, being aware that our soul is eternal, sets us apart of all other God's creations of living things. The animal doesn't, the beast of the field doesn't think about eternity. Man is aware of that. Every time we go to a funeral, we're aware of that. Every time we see some one of our loved ones pass away, we're aware that our soul is eternal and it lives on. After this life. So therefore, this subject becomes extremely important. If my body is so important that I'm going to take a health check of my body, surely I need to take a health check of my soul. Ecclesiastes 12 and 7 says, And then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return to God who gave it. The wise man tells us plainly, that our body is going to disappear and vanish away and go back to the dust. But our soul will go back to God who gave it. The first state that I want to look, and I want you to think about your own soul this evening. And I want you to evaluate your soul. And I want you to say and, and determine where you fit in these categories of a health check of your soul. There are some people... There are many people who are spiritually dead. I was told once by uh, 
a fellow that that term was not accurate, that it could not exist. I maintain and I present to you tonight that it is extremely accurate. And when we understand death, we understand that it is quite possible to be spiritually dead. Your body can be alive, but your soul can be spiritually dead. There may be some in this auditorium this evening who are spiritually dead and you need life. Genesis 2.17 says, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Now, for a long time I thought that this was simply the curse of death of the body. But I know and I believe and am convinced that God knew exactly what he was saying and meant exactly what he was saying. And what he said was the day that you eat of this tree, of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. I believe that the day, and the day not meaning a time period, not meaning an era, not meaning a dispensation, but a day as in the day of creation. God created the world in six days. The day that Adam and Eve ate of that tree of knowledge of good and evil, they died spiritually. What is death? It's something we see all the time. C.S. Lewis said that there's one thing that men fear more than any, and that's a dead body. Nobody wants to be around a dead body. And C.S. Lewis said a dead body can't hurt you because it's dead. But people still fear it. You know what happens when we die? And all of us surely are going to die physically. And some of us are already dead spiritually. But when we die physically, you and I know that death is a separation our soul departs our body and goes back to God who gave it. The body then dies because there is a separation that occurs. Death is a dreaded thing and it is a thing that all of us despise, including God. 1 Corinthians 15 says it's an enemy because God does not like separation. God is life. But when a person dies, their body separates from their soul and the, and the body dies because the soul is gone. It's something none of us want, but we know that it's going to happen and it happens to all people. But when a person dies spiritually, just as Adam and Eve did, it means that they are separated from God. Jesus said that he was life. If I'm in fellowship with Jesus Christ, then I'm alive. I'm alive. The man who is separated from God is spiritually dead. Isaiah 59 and 2 says, But your iniquities have separated you between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear you. Your sins separate you from God. A sin 
with, in God's presence cannot exist no more than light and darkness can exist. It's not just a punishment of sin. It is a result. It can't help but happen. It's a law. God would cease to be God if sin dwelt in His presence. So therefore, when I die spiritually, I am separated from God. You know, the Apostle Paul said that he was alive once without the law. But when the commandment came, sin revived and he died. When we become aware of our sins, a child is alive. Jesus said, suffer the little children to come unto me, for such as theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When we become accountable to our sins, the commandment comes. Sin separates us from God. There are many people today who are spiritually dead because they are not in fellowship with God because their sins have kept them separated from God. Life, however, comes through Jesus Christ. Romans 6 and 13 says, Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive, what? From the dead. Now, when I become a Christian, I have become alive from the dead. What day? Why? I've been living for 56 years now, physically. But you know, I was dead spiritually once. When I was not in fellowship with Jesus Christ, I was dead. I was separated from God. The spiritual death occurred and, and, and I was estranged from God. Those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Ephesians 2 and 1 says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. If you're here this evening, take account of your soul. Where are you? Are you, one, are you spiritually dead? Are you in fellowship with God? Life comes from the joining of the life giver. Colossians 2 and 13, And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of the flesh... Hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you of all trespasses. I want to tell you this afternoon that there are those who are dead in trespasses and sins, but you can be made alive through Jesus Christ. There are others who are spiritually alive, but asleep. The Bible talks quite a bit about those who are spiritually asleep. Romans 13 and 11 says, And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is your salvation nearer than when we believed. There are those that their soul has been made alive through the fellowship of Jesus Christ. They've obeyed the gospel. But they fall asleep. When you're asleep... It's likened unto death, and as a matter of fact, death is called sleep in some cases in the Bible. Take, for instance, when Lazarus was dead, and the disciples 
When Jesus said, Lazarus sleepeth, the disciples said, well, if he sleeps, that's a good thing. And then Jesus spoke plainly and said, he is dead. There's a difference. You can be alive and still not be aware. I'll tell you what, after the brotherhood meeting this weekend and all the things and the, the, the schedule, you know, when we laid down last night, sleep came pretty good for us. And, I'll, and I would say that's the case with most of us. And most of us long for a good sleep. When you're asleep, you're not aware of what's going on. Many people are spiritually alive. They've obeyed the gospel. They are in fellowship with Jesus Christ. But Paul says, you'd better wake up, folks. For our salvation is nearer than when we believed. Ephesians 5.14, wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Now he's calling the dead and the sleep the same thing in this, in this text. Meaning that you are not aware and that this sleep is like being dead. It's close to being dead because you're not aware. What are you not aware of? I believe one of the things that Satan and his devices that he does is he tries to lull you to sleep. He wants you to, to, to become lackadaisical. He wants you to become indifferent to a lot of situations. I believe that Satan uh, really enjoys it when a Christian goes to sleep because then they fail to see needs. Have you ever seen someone that saw no need whatsoever? I don't suppose J.R. would care for me telling this, but J.R. Smith told me something that uh, has, has meant so much to me. J.R., you know, was not a Christian for a long time, and he said when he obeyed the gospel and uh, he became alive to God, he said that after that he, he was standing one time at a county fair of sorts of, where there was a great crowd of people. I think it was a county fair. I'm not exactly sure about that. But he said he was just standing back and he was just watching just watching and people going by. You ever done that? Hundreds, hundreds of people, thousands of people going by, walking by. I walked across the street in Tokyo, Japan with a thousand people at one time. They start playing a little tune, you want to get across as fast as you can go because <laughs> you're getting ready to get run over if you don't make it before the song ends. It's kind of like playing those games, you know. J.R. standing there and he's watching all these people. If you ever go to Disney World, you ever go to Gatlinburg, you ever go to any of those places, just stand back and watch the people. J.R. said it occurred to him. These people are dying. These people are going to hell. How many people? How many? Jesus put it this way. He said, the fields are white unto harvest. When you go out into the mission field of life, and you're driving along the interstate, do you ever think about the number of people that have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ? Paul is saying, arise out of your sleep. Wake up. So many of us are spiritually alive, but we're asleep. We're not aware. We're not aware of the dangers. At home, we've got a basement in our house, and some of you have been there, and some of you have slept in that uh, underground dungeon. 
It's dark in there. You can go to sleep in that basement. And there's not a, there's not a, uh, a window in that basement. You can go to sleep down there and it can be 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock in the daytime. And you're just, boy, oh, it must be midnight. Have you ever heard the story about the man who went to sleep in his basement and the house started on fire upstairs? And he slept and he slept and he slept till the house burned him up. He's asleep in his basement and all seems well. It's comfortable, it's nice. But in the meantime, the house is burning down. I want to tell you, for so many people, for so many members of the Lord's church, that's the case. We look around and those that we love dearest are dying. They've lost their soul and they're losing their soul and they're heading in a direction that's going to lead them away from Jesus Christ. And yet we are comfortable in our sleep. Paul says, arise from the dead and Christ shall give thee light. I'll tell you, it's time for us to wake up if you're spiritually asleep. We need to be aroused from our spiritual sleep. And the Word of God awakens those who are asleep. It's our responsibility to awaken those who are sleeping. That's what I want to do with you tonight if that's the state of your soul. If you're simply unaware and you're lackadaisical and you're complacent about those who are dying and losing their soul, wake up. It's time to arise out of sleep. Then there are those who are not only alive, but they are awake. I hope this is part of the case of your soul tonight. I hope you are spiritually awake. Luke 15, verses 11 through 24, the Bible teaches us here the prodigal son. But the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and the shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. How was he dead? He was separated from his father. He was not in the communion with his father. He had left and he had gone to the far country. He had filled himself with the sins and the pleasures of the far country. But he was, a, he was dead, his father says. But there came a day in that prodigal son's life that he woke up. Boy, I need, I need to be made alive. I can go back to my father and I can join myself with my father. And even if I'm just a hired servant, I'm better off than what I am now. I can wait. I need to wake up. So he wakes up and he goes back to his father and his father is waiting for him. And the Bible says that he runs to meet him and he, he greets him with a kiss. And here he says, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and it's found. The prodigal finally woke up. Life came when he joined himself with his father. Romans 6 and 11 says, Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. I hope this is the case with you this evening. I hope that you are dead to sin. What does that mean? I've separated myself from my old lifestyle. I, I've died to it. There are those who can identify with that. I've had people tell me that was another lifetime ago. Perhaps you can too. 
You can identify and you can look back on your past life and you can say, that was another lifetime ago. That was somebody else. That was, that's not me now. I'm alive now to Jesus Christ. I'm dead to my sins. I've separated myself from those old sins. Paul told the Corinthians, he said that you were once these adulterers, these fornicators. You, were, you lived in that one time, but you're not living in that anymore. And don't go back to that lifestyle. Who would want to be dead when they've been made alive? We face a danger today, brethren, because the world of death beckons to us all the time. And it cries to us all the time. And tries to take us back into it. Who would want to go back to death? Be dead to sin, alive to Jesus Christ. Romans 6 and 13 says, Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of, unrighteous, of righteousness unto God. Matthew 25 and 40 says, And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. That's being alive. That's being awake. I will make my life one that is a valuable instrument to God through the works that I do. I'll separate myself from the sins of this world. 1 Corinthians 15 and 22 says, For in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. That's where life comes from. Death comes from the carnal Adam, the man of the flesh. Where are you tonight? Spiritually dead? Spiritually asleep? Spiritually awake? There's one last category I want us to look at this afternoon. And this is a uh, furtherance, I believe. And this is what I want to call you to. It's a wonderful thing to be spiritually awake and aware of our needs, but there's such a thing as being triumphant too and living a life of triumph and overcoming. I want us to be overcomers. I, God wants us to be overcomers. We've been doing a study back home, overcoming temptation. We, need to, we not only need to be able to deal with temptation, but learn how to overcome it. We not only need to learn how to deal with sin, but to overcome sin. To be triumphant. To be victorious. John 16 and 33 says, These things have I spoken unto you, that, you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Through Jesus Christ, you and I can be overcomers. We can be spiritually triumphant. The message of the gospel is good news. I don't have to live a life of defeat. I can be an overcomer. John 16 and 33 says, These things have I spoken unto you that in me that you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation. You overcome. There Paul writes in Romans 12 and 21, 
Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. I found that the best way to overcome temptation is to have placed goodness in my life. Those things that have been dragging me down, to place good things in place of it. Be overcomers with good. Many people today are learning in the church of triumphant living. I hope that you are. 1 John 2 and 13 says, I write unto you fathers because you have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you young men because you have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you little children because you have known the father. Have you overcome the wicked one? You can. You can through Jesus Christ. Because he said, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. 1 John 4 and 4 says, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. It's a verse we've forgotten. It occurred to me why much of the world is living a life of pessimism. You know the only standard that they have is you and me. What's that song? We're the world's Bible. The world reads us. Here's an old boy that comes into a church building. He's beat down in the affairs of life. He's spiritually dead, but he's looking for something. And he sits with people who sing, oh, how I love Jesus. And as Marlon Cole says, you can sing a lie just as well as you can talk one. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, how I love Jesus. But then you live a life that is beat down and you're beat down just as much as him. And they look at us and they start gauging Christianity by the way that we approach life and the way that we live life. I want to tell you, I'm a pessimist by nature. I really am. Something I fight all the time. The reason why I fight it is because I know the the, the end of the world. (laughs) God's told me. It's not good. Not for worldly people. How could you be an optimist if you lived only in the world? How? Where's Sam Walton? He's in his grave and his billions are still here, but he's in his grave. Where are all these people? How could you be an optimist in the world? I'm not an optimist of the world. I know that God's going to burn it up and I know that he's going to come back with a vengeance. I know that. But I don't have to live strictly looking at this life. I can live spiritually triumphant because I know also That victory is in Jesus Christ. And if the world looks at me and he sees me take the same approach that he takes in the world. And I have the same defeatist attitude that he has. What am I drawing him to? So John 4, 1 John 4 and 4 says, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I believe that involves all the scheme of the world. We live in a nation that is in turmoil 
I will accept that. But I belong to a kingdom that has a king that sits on a throne, that rules the universe. And he's greater than any kingdom of this world. I can live a life spiritually triumphant in Christ and I can't live it anywhere else. You can't live a life spiritually triumphant in the world. I think about it as a sine wave. I know, I know people that their life is like this. Highs and lows. Highs and lows. Moving to the next best thing. Their flesh cries for satisfaction, so they move to that thing that will satisfy them for the moment. But it only lasts for a little while. That's not the case with Christianity. That's not the case with life in Christ. Because the, our environment doesn't necessarily affect our outlook. Faith, faith is the substance of things what? Hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. If I start living a life of faith, I'm hoping. Now hope is, uh, you have to have reasonable evidence that you're going to receive it. Otherwise it ceases to be hope. So the evidence that is given in faith allows me to hope. So therefore I can go to the funeral home. I can look at the, my, my, my loved one. And I can face that event with optimism. Why? Because there's a triumph in Christ. He's overcome death. I'll tell you, I preached my mother's funeral. So people ask me, how could you do that? How could I not do that? Simply because her body died doesn't mean that, I, that I'm living uh, in hopelessness. I have hope of seeing her again. I have hope of being reunited. I have a spiritual triumph that the world cannot have. I want to tell you, if you live a life of spiritual death, or you don't have any hope. Because when you die, that's all you, that's all you hope for. It's what you've attained in this life. So Christ calls us. Christ calls us to live a life of spiritual triumph. And you and I can have heaven in that spiritual triumph. I asked you last night, do you believe God can save your soul from hell? <laughs> he can. He can. He said he could. And he doesn't lie. And if I can be saved from hell, then anything that happens in this life, well, I can take it. And whatever, he can, whatever happens, he can handle it in this life. I can live a life of spiritual triumph because greater is my God than anything in this world. James 1 and 12 says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Death is the enemy. It's the enemy to God. But God's promised to overcome. 
2 Timothy 4 and 8 says, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me in that day, and not to me only, but at all them that also love his appearing. Paul wrote those words, sitting in a dark, dank prison, awaiting death. And he could look at death in the final hours of his life, and he could look back and he said, I fought a good fight. Boy, boy, Paul, Paul, you fought a good fight. All you've done is you've gone and you've been shipwrecked. You've been beat. You've done all these things. And you're saying you fought a good fight. You say you kept the faith. Well, what have you attained, Paul? What have you won, Paul? It looks like a life of persecution to me. If I'm a man of the world, it's a life of persecution. That's all it is. But Paul says, I'm not looking at those things. I'm looking ahead. I want to call you this evening to look ahead and beyond, beyond this life, beyond the things that occur here and happen here. These are just but for a moment. Look to heaven and love the appearing of God. If you're here this evening, the state of your soul is such that you need life. Come to Christ. Repent of your sins and confess him as the only begotten son of God and be buried with him in baptism. And as the scripture says, raised to walk in newness of life, to be made alive, to walk awake and aware. Never has a man been more alive and awake than he is with Jesus Christ. Never. Never has life taken on such meaning as a walk with Christ. Never. And never will a life become more victorious and triumphant than a walk with Jesus Christ. Won't you come to him tonight as we stand and sing?